And here we go, everybody. It is a, another edition of Jamal About Sports after a long layoff coming to you on a Tuesday night. July 12th, 2022. we got a big show to get to. We've got lots of baseball, of course, including my Metsies. Uh, we'll take a little stroll around Major League Baseball as well. We'll talk a little bit about the NBA offseason, uh, Knicks specifically, and their big acquisition of Jalen Brunson, um, where that leaves the rest of the team. Uh, check in a little bit on the Summer League. Uh, but we start with Major League Baseball, and we start with the Mets. And I said in the offseason that I wanted one guy and one guy only to manage this team. That was Buck Showalter. And kudos to Steve Cohen and new general manager Billy Epler for uh, heeding my advice, uh, so to speak, and hiring Buck because he has been uh, a huge difference maker. Uh, He is finally, after many, many years, the actual adult in the room that the Mets need. Um, He is, no one is more prepared for a game than Buck is. Now listen, of course, does he make a few mistakes? Decisions here and there in a game, you know, pitching changes and things like that, that maybe uh, you might want to second guess. Yeah, but nothing that's glaring, nothing egregious. The Mets uh, play with competence and a competitiveness that hasn't been seen around here in many, many years. Um, and also, he is a pleasure in the postgame press conferences. I mean, he's, he's smart, he's engaging, he's funny. He's got a dry sense of humor. Um, He does a great job answering some of the most inane questions you'll ever hear, uh, as is sort of the the specialty now in the sports reporting world, where they they ask questions that are basically rhetorical and already sort of answer their own questions while asking them, and, and Buck patiently sits there, and sometimes he'll sort of change the subject and kind of give a different answer to maybe a different question or a question that would have been a better question uh, than the, the nonsense that gets asked of him sometimes. Uh, but he's just been a pleasure. He's been great. He has been an absolute pleasure. It's July 12th. The Mets are 21 games over 500. Uh, three games up in the loss column on the hard-charging Braves, who were 27-10. and 10. In their last 37 games, the Mets at one time did have a 10-game lead uh, as the Braves got off to a slow start. But the Braves, again, have gotten red hot. And the Mets have played after a very, you know, hot start of their own. They've been okay, four games over 500 in that same span that the Braves have played uh, 17 over. Or no, wait, better than that. Um, And they had a big game last night. And Max Scherzer, who was a huge acquisition in the offseason, showed you why you signed Max Scherzer. Because he pitched seven innings of one-run ball, struck out 10, didn't walk anybody, gave up three hits, gave up a home run on a a hanging slider, um, but was outstanding last night. And listen, you know, it's so funny. In years past, right, so, so Jacob deGrom hasn't pitched at all, came out of, you know, missed mostly the whole second half of last year, was healthy for spring training, was throwing 100 miles an hour in spring training games, and then Shocker was hurt again. And Scherzer got hurt with like an oblique, so not his arm, but his oblique, which is, you know, 
a core muscle. He 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 gives you know max effort. So any 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 injury to a pitcher is is concerning. A little less so because it wasn't his arm, but um, so he is now six and one. I think he's made probably eleven or so starts. Degrom hasn't made one. So you got eleven combined starts between Scherzer and Degrom, and you're twenty one games over five hundred. And you have a three-game lead in July, and and people are moaning and groaning about oh the Braves and the Mets. I mean, everybody relax. I mean, can 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 we think back not that long ago? Imagine if Degrom and whoever whomever the next best starter on the Mets was at the time were you know only combined for eleven starts by July twelfth, what the Mets record would have been. Plus Tyler McGill, who filled in for Degrom quite capably early and was great. Uh, he's been hurt for an extended period of time, um, you know, and they've had some other you know injuries pop up here and there along the way. I mean, nothing major. Nimmo's missed a few some some time. McNeil's missed some time, uh, but Lindor's played pretty much every day. Alonzo's played pretty much every day. Um, Marcana's played most of the time. I think he had a, a brief uh, missed a few games with a COVID thing. Um, you know, Chris Bassett had to miss uh, a game because of COVID, who they picked up in the offseason from the A's, who's after a great start, hit hit a bit of a speed bump, and but his, his pitch much better his last few starts. Uh, Carlos Carrasco missed one start with a bad back, but for the most part, uh, he's pitched pretty well and has, has done a good job. Again, got off to a very hot start, had a couple of stinkers there back-to-back, but uh, the last couple of starts, he's been he's been solid. Um but I mean, listen. In years past, this Mets team would be easily ten games under five hundred, and, and and the season probably probably be over. And it's a testament to Buck, it's a testament to Billy Epler, who has provided the Mets with a ton of depth. Um, and here's the thing. Here's the good news. It looks like Degrom will be back post All Star break. Scherzer obviously just came back last night. Tyler McGill will be back at some point this year. Um, David Peterson has done a nice job uh, filling in as a starter. Um, Carrasco, as I said, has been you know great, you know good, not great. Bassett has been you know pretty good. Um, but here's the thing: offensively, there's plenty of room for improvement. Eduardo Escobar, who the Mets signed to a two-year, twenty million dollar contract to start at third base for them, has been mostly bad this year. I mean, he had a little hot streak there where he, I think he had, what, two or three home runs in a series against the Rangers a couple weeks ago. Uh, but he's been mostly bad this year. Lindor's numbers are good, 15 homers, 60 RBIs. The batting average is a little lower than you'd like at 340. The on-base percentage is lower than you'd like at 320. Um, he's been very streaky. He's been a bit disappointing. I mean, much better than last year, obviously. But for the kind of player you want him to be, which is, you know, a franchise-type player, um, he's not really lived up to that. And forget about the contract, by the way, everybody. Remember, it's a new era now. Steve Cohen doesn't care. So if in three years from now, Lindor is is bad, he's, he's not going to be here anymore. It, 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 it's not like the, the, the Wilpon era where you're stuck with this guy now because of the, con, the money he makes. I mean, we what, what, what proved to Mets fans everywhere that this things were truly different was when they told Robinson Cano to beat it and still pay him twenty million bucks. And now, of course, he found his way out of the Braves after he hit you know a hundred for the Mets. He hit under a hundred for the Padres. Got sent down to AAA. 
The Braves just traded for him. And of course, he had to get two hits last night. Of course. Of course. So, of course, he will come back to haunt the Mets, either in this series or later in the year. Uh, I mean, it just, it's just a given. I've, I've already mentally prepared myself for that. But when the Mets let him go, that was the sign that things were really, truly different now because that would have never happened under the Wilpons. But, look, Lindor can be better. Alonzo's been mostly great. Uh, I mean, look, 22 home runs, 72 RBIs. You know, he's on tr- pace for 40 home runs and 130 you know, RBIs. I mean, you can't ask for much more out of him than that. Um, but Dom Smith hasn't hit. J.D. Davis hasn't hit. Those guys kind of split the DH duties. Uh, the catching situation for the Mets, as, as is often the case, is atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. I mean, Tomas Nito, again, I, I've been saying this for years, he's not major league caliber. I mean, he's just not. He's, he's not even good defensively, and he's horrendous offensively. And then Brian McCann, who at least was playing good defense this year, his offense has been horrible, got hurt, came back, and then got hurt again, making a tag at home plate. So as the trade deadline approaches, the Mets ought to see how they can upgrade a catcher. Now, I understand Francisco Alvarez is their prized uh, top prospect, just got promoted from double-A AA to triple-A after crushing the ball at double-A. But he's predictably struggled somewhat, uh, not somewhat, struggled mightily so far, very early, first couple of weeks here at AAA, um, which you see that a lot. And what you obviously what you want to see is, you know, let him, let, let him figure it out. I mean, Mark Vientos is another one of their big prospects. He had a good year at AA last year, started the year at AAA, got off to a very slow start, and then found his footing and has been very good down there, you know, with the like 14 or 15 home runs and an OPS in the mid-8s. Um, you know, of course, there's a lot of talk about maybe promoting Francisco Alvarez. Mets are probably reluctant to do that, and I, and I get it. He's only still only 20. Um, they're not doing it unless he gets raging hot at AAA, which I, I, I think he will. But, you know, will that come in time around the trade deadline? We'll see. Because remember, there's no more, you know, pre-waiver, post-waiver trade deadline. There's, there's one, and, and that's that. So, um, you know, listen, what would Wilson Contreras from the Cubs cost you? It's going to cost you something. I mean, he's going to be a free agent. You're not going to get him for nothing. The Mets actually have some pretty good prospects. I mean, they got this kid, Ronnie Mauricio, who's a big, tall, lanky, you know, toolsy kid with power who plays shortstop. But you got Lindor here at 28. I mean, you know, now listen, maybe Mauricio can play a different position. Um, but, you know, you got Jeff McNeil to play second base, who, by the way, has had a very good year this year. Great bounce back year out of Jeff McNeil. Um, but there's room for improvement in the Mets' offense. Catcher, DH, third base uh, in particular. You know, Ken has been okay. He's not been great. He's been okay. Um, but that's, you know, he's not supposed to be a star, right? He's a solid player, 750-ish OPS, gets on base. Power numbers are, are not great, but he's got a 370 on base percentage. Um, you know, Nimmo has, has had a pretty good year. He hasn't had a great year. I think he can be better. I mean, I'm not down on him or anything. I love the guy. I love the way he plays. And kudos to him. All the expert scouts said he can never play center field in the major leagues. Meanwhile, he's turned himself into a very good center fielder. Um, and Starlin Marte, who was the big acquisition, you know, he's, he's a strange player. I mean, in the sense that he just looks so good. He is such a good athlete. He's in such good shape. He, he's fast. He hits for power. He can hit for average at times. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's a good outfielder. 
I mean, he won the Gold Glove twice in left field. The Mets are playing him in right field, which I, I thought was silly. And meanwhile, I was completely wrong. He's been great in right field. Um, but I, uh, it, I, you know, he, the Mets, I think, are his fourth team, right? He started out with uh, I think Pittsburgh, and then he was on uh, the Marlins, and then he was on the A's, and now he's on the Mets. He, he looks so good at times that I think, you know, you want him to be that all the time. And then he has these, you know, he has these stretches where he doesn't look very good. Now, listen, I'm not down on him at all. He's been pretty good. I mean, he made the all-star team. Uh, he's been hurt and nicked up a little bit, and he's nicked up right now with a bad groin. I, I don't think he's going to play in this series against the Braves. But, um, you know, I, 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 I don't – it's not like he's playing out of his mind. Uh, so – I mean, there's definitely room for improvement there. And then the other big area of concern for the Mets is the bullpen. Now, listen, Edwin Diaz has been, you know, I talked about him as an unknown guy four or five years ago on a podcast when he was on the Mariners. That was five years ago now. Jeez, I can't believe it's that long. Um, when he was absolutely dominant, you know, his first year with the Mets, well chronicled, was really bad. Uh, got a little bit better in the COVID year. Got a little bit better last year. He's been lights out this year lights out did it again last night came in 11 pitches three outs um struck out the side he struck out more than half the batters he's faced this year he's averaging i believe almost 18 strikeouts per nine innings i mean it's insane and he's not really walking anybody the home run ball hasn't gotten him yet this year i think he's given up two or three um he's got 19 saves he's been tremendous he's been absolutely tremendous this year and I said this a couple of years ago, and everybody said, oh, he can't pitch in New York. And I said, no, no, that's garbage. It's garbage. Listen, I understand he doesn't speak English, but the guy stood there at his locker with his interpreter after every crushing blown save and took all the questions and gave answers. Now, did he show his emotions? Sure. He looked shell-shocked. He was upset. The guy cares. What's wrong with that? Nothing. I love the guy. And again, I had a ton of respect for him, even when he wasn't at his best, because... He didn't run and hide. He didn't go into the trainer's room and say he had to work on his, you know. He, he stood there and took, and, 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 and took it like a man. Good for him. And, and it's great to see how good he's been this year. I mean, his stuff is unbelievable. I mean, he throws 101 when he wants to. And he's got a slider that's absolutely filthy. So he's been great. The rest of the bullpen, uh, very hit or miss. I mean, look, they don't have a reliable lefty in the bullpen. I mean, this Joely Rodriguez, uh, not reliable. Adam Ottavino, I mean, at times looks great. Other times looks terrible. You know, last night was a high wire act. Look, he got out of it. We'll take it. But I don't trust him as far as I can throw him. Same thing for Seth Lugo. Seth Lugo even more so. I mean, can the Mets please finally realize that it's not 2019 anymore and Seth Lugo is not the pitcher he was in 2019? I mean, the guy gives up... So many late in and crushing home runs. It's unbelievable. And Drew Smith, who was a nice story early has uh, and, and was dominant, has, has not been very good lately. Another one who gives up way too many home runs. You know, you can't be giving game-losing home runs to Jason Castro, the worst hitter in Major League Baseball. Not hitting catcher, although he's a horrible hitting catcher. He'd probably go well on the Mets. Uh, catcher for the Astros, but I mean, he's, I think he's literally the worst hitter in baseball. And Drew Smith gave up a, a game-losing home run to him. He, he can't have that. Can't have it. So the Mets need to bolster the bullpen, 
They, you know, third base, they're going to they're gonna ride it out with Escobar because he's a great clubhouse guy and everybody loves him. And, um, you know, and, and he, he's not, so he's not going anywhere. Um, the other revelation, and I, I have to admit, when I'm wrong, I'm wrong, is Luis Guillorme. Uh, I was never a fan. It was nonsense when the Mets kept him over uh, Denny Echeverria that year because Echeverria was owed a million-dollar uh, bonus for being on the team. Echeverria at that time was a much better player than Luis Guillorme. Much better. Much. Speed, as good a defender at multiple positions, and while not a great hitter, at least got his bat on the ball and, and, and could do something. I mean, Guillorme was almost an automatic out then. Well, to Guillorme's credit, he's turned into a very good contact hitter. Had a big home run last night, actually. That's not his game at all. He's got four for his career now. Um, but he's been a very valuable tool. Now, listen, I think Buck's fallen in love with him a little too much for my tastes. Um, he did hit a cold streak there, but now he's gotten hot again. So, look, maybe, maybe I'm dead wrong. Maybe this is a guy who's finally found, you know, his niche. Uh, and I hope I am wrong. Um, but, um, you know, the... the uh, the bullpen needs uh, needs help. I mean, it, it, I, I'd say at least two more arms. Um, definitely a lefty and one more righty would would would, would be nice, you know. And, and and as far as the starting pitching goes, I mean, it's of course you hope Degrom can make all his starts the second half of the year. It's likely that he won't. Hopefully, you know, if that's the case, it's he gets rested because you know. But no, no other major calamity befalls him, and he misses like basically, you know, the whole second half of the second half of the season, or something like that. Um, but I mean, assuming if we're going to look at the bright side here, assuming he comes back, you have Scherzer, you have him, you have Bassett, you have Carrasco, and Taiwan Walker. Oh, how could I forget about Taiwan Walker? Taiwan Walker has been. Absolutely tremendous. As good as he was, better than he was in the first half of last year when he was an all-star. Now, we all know he had a horrendous second half last year. And people thought maybe that was because of fatigue, because he hadn't thrown a lot of innings, because he'd been hurt a bunch early in his career. Uh, you know, so that bears watching. Um, but then you also have David Peterson, who's been really good most of the time. Uh, as I said, they'll probably get McGill back sometime in August. So, I mean, I, at least, you know, uh, um, uh, what's the guy's name? Trevor Williams has been not – he's been good as a long guy, not very good as a starter, although his last start was great, although the Mets scored 10 runs for him. But he did pitch seven shutout innings. Um, so, I mean, at least there's depth there. It's not like it used to be in years past when, you know, when guys would get hurt and then whomever the Nets brought up was, you know, basically a guy that was non-competitive. So, it's a much deeper roster – um, you know, guys like Travis Jankowski just came back off the DLs is a very, you know, it's fine as a fourth, fifth outfielder type, really good speed, really good defender, uh, puts the ball in play. You know, that's the other thing that's been nice about this Mets team is they put the ball in play. Um, and, and up until, you know, the last three weeks, the runners with scoring position has fallen off, but up until that point, they were leading the league hitting with runners in scoring position. They're not an all or nothing team. I mean, Alonzo's their big bopper. Uh, I think Lindor is second on the team with 15 home runs. I don't think anybody else has double digits, which is a little bit of a problem. I mean, you would think Marte would have more home runs by now. He doesn't. Um, but he's driven in about 40 runs, so he's been productive. 
Um, you know, can steal a base for you too. He had 47 last year. He's not that many this year for the Mets. I think only about 12 or so. But um, and he's been caught. I think last year he was only caught five times. This year he's already been caught five times. Typical Mets. But uh, again, overall big picture, not a lot to argue with here. I mean, again, you know, in years past this team would be underwater by now, and they're still in first place. Last night's win was big. I mean, it's still July, but it's a big series against the Braves. It's always big when both teams are competitive. And the fact that the Braves have been breathing down the Mets' neck for a while now to get that first win last night was nice. Now, you know, uh, so now, you know, split the next two. Figure out a way to get one of the next two, and you've done your job. And then I think they play the Reds, who are bad, who the Mets just played recently. And should have swept, but I think they took two out of three. And then they've got, uh, and then they got the All Star break. So I mean, look again. If you were if you were going to tell me the beginning of the year that Scherzer was going to miss six weeks, Degrom was going to miss the whole first half, um, you're going to get nothing out of JD Davis, nothing out of Dom Smith, uh, nothing out of it. You know, not nothing, but a bad first year really for Eduardo Escobar. Nothing out of catcher. And you're going to be, you know, in first place or let's say tied for first place. I think you would sign up for that 10 out of 10 times. I will take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Okay, we're back here on a, after a long layoff, another edition of Jamal About Sports. Let's take a little trip around the majors, shall we? Go through the standings. So, of course, the big story is the Yankees, and they're on a historic pace, 61-25. and 25, uh, A 170-plus-177 run differential. The 34-9 at home, 27-16 and 16 away. Uh, they, they did lose two in a row to the Red Sox, who, after a very slow start, have gotten themselves back in the mix. Not for the division. I mean, they're 14 and a half games back. But... For the wild card, and remember, there's there's added playoff spots this year. So the Red Sox are 47 and 40. The Red Sox couldn't pitch at all in the beginning of the year. They've got a million guys hurt. Their bullpen was a mess. They've somewhat righted the ship. I mean, the Red Sox lineup is outstanding. I mean, you've got J.D. Martinez still crushes it. Devers still crushes it. Uh, Bogart still crushes it. Alex Verdugo's had a pretty good year for them. Um, you know, the Red, Red Sox can still score runs, but their pitching has, has not been great. It's sort of gotten better lately, and they should get Chris Sale back at some point this year, although how effective he'll be is a huge question mark. Tampa Bay's sort of muddled along 46-40. and 40. I don't think of them as much of a threat. And then the Blue Jays have been a huge disappointment. They got off to a slow start. They got hot there for a while. Then they, they ran into the buzzsaw that was the Yankees, and that seems to really send them reeling. They're 1-9 in their last 10. They've lost four in a row. They're only three games over five hundred. You know, everybody loves Vlad Guerrero Jr. And, you know, yes, listen, he's a very talented player. Um, you know, Teoscar Hernandez, uh, Bo Bichette, um, Guriel. I mean, they've got, they've got talented hitters. They're supposed, their pitching was supposed to be good. Um, it's not been great. Um, you know, they had, who was their big offseason acquisition? Uh, was it Robbie Ray? No, that was the Mariners, idiotically overpaid for him. Robbie Ray was on the Blue Jays last year. They got Kikuchi from the Mariners. They gave Barrios, who they traded for from Minnesota. You know what? Let's go ahead and take a look. 
I always liked the Blue Jays. I always liked the Blue Jays when I, when I was growing up. I, was, I liked their uniforms. They had guys like George Bell on that team and Tony Fernandez and Damaso Garcia and uh, Tom Henke. And then, you know, and then later when Cito Gaston was the manager and they had Joe Carter and they beat the Phillies. So I always had a little bit of an affinity for the Blue Jays. So let's take a look and see what's going on over there with this team. All right. Let's see. Bo Bichette, he's having an okay year. 14 homers, 48 RBIs, 731 OPS. Not bad. Vlad Jr., I mean, good, not great year. 829 OPS, 19 homers, 54 RBIs. Um, you know, George Springer, that's right. He was a big offseason acquisition for them last year. Was hurt a lot of the time. 17 homers, 40 RBIs. Having a pretty good year. That's right. They traded for Matt Chapman from the A's to play third base. He's been bad. 13 and 40, but he struck out 79 times already. He's hitting 219, 700 OPS. Not very good. Uh, Lourdes Gurriel Jr., we mentioned him. He's kind of a platoon. No, I guess he's not a platoon player. He's only got five home runs and 35 RBIs. He's got 281 at-bats. Um, they've gotten a good year out of their catcher, Alejandro Kirk. Ten homers, 33 ribbies. Uh, 876 OPS. Teoscar Hernandez, I mentioned before, 9 and 33 with a 757 OPS. That's not bad. It's a bubbly average. I mean, okay. I mean, the offense has been okay. I think it's, I think it's the pitching that's the issue. And let's get in starting pitching mostly. Oh, Kevin Gaussman. That was their big pickup. That's right. So they've got Alex Manoa as one of their own guys. He's been very good. 9 and 4 of the 234 ERA. Barrios has not been good. 6 and 4, 544 ERA. Gaussman, win-loss record's not great, 6-6, six six, but his ERA is 286, although he's given up more hits and innings pitched. Uh, and then they got guys like Ross Stripling and, yeah, uh, Kikuchi, 3-5, 5-12 ERA. Stripling's been okay. Is he a starter? Let's see. He's made 12 starts. Uh, his base sort of bounces back and forth. So I guess that's Manoa, Barrios, Gaussman, and Kikuchi are their main four. And... Manoa's been very good. Barrios has not been good. Gosman's been okay. And Kikuchi's been bad. And there you go. And then the bullpen. Oh, they have Hinjun Rue. I guess he's hurt, right? Guy, former Dodger. Yeah, he's only made six starts. That's hurt them. Um, who's their closer? Oh, this guy, Jordan Romano. 31 innings, 24 hits. Not bad. 14 walks, 35 strikeouts. So the whip is 1.23. Not bad. He's got 18 saves. Not terrible. You know, solid. Um, but, yeah, and pitching has been the issue for the Blue Jays, for sure. Um, and then, you know, the, you got the dregs of the, 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 the Orioles who, you know, at least they're competitive. Uh, I think they're only like five games under 500 or something. No, they're only a game under 500 now. But they were bad for a lot of the year. They've gotten hot lately. Yeah, they won eight in a row. Um, still not a very good team. And then in the Central, you got the Twins at 48 at 40. The Guardians, nay Indians, at 43 and 42. The White Sox are a huge disappointment, 41 and 45, with Tony La Russa back managing that team. You can believe that. And then the Tigers... Our train wreck at 36 and 51, and the, and the, the Royals aren't even trying at 34 and 52. I mean, the Royals have a minus 103 run differential. The Tigers are minus 96. 
The White Sox are minus 44, and the Guardians are minus 2. You have one team plus 50, and that's the Twins. It's a bad division. And then out west, you got the Astros, who are the cream of the crop. They gave the Yankees what four this year, played with them all close games. I think they split the four games they played with them. They did a little number on the Mets. Uh, the Mariners were supposed to be good. They've gotten hot lately, 9-1 in the last, 10 of one eight to get to three games over 500, but they mostly have muddled along and been underachieving so far. Uh, and then you got the Rangers, who idiotically gave it, you know, $8 trillion to Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. And, you know, they have no pitching, and they're 40 and 44. Big surprise. And then the Angels are just the weirdest team in the world. I mean, they have arguably two of the top five players in the game in Shohei Itani, who pitches great and hits great, and Mike Trout, and they're four games under 500. No, sorry, worse. They're 38 and 49. Uh, fired the manager a while ago. Didn't do any good for them. It didn't jumpstart the team, unlike the Phillies, who fired Girardi uh, and have played very well since then. And then Bryce Harper got hurt, and they still are playing well. Um, and then you got the A's, who basically gave up in the offseason, traded away anyone that was any good. Um, and uh, they're 29 and 59. So, I mean, if you look at the American League, I mean, the, the, the AL Central is bad. I mean, you got two teams that are really bad in the Tigers and the Royals. And in the West, you've got the Angels, who should be better than they are, but they're bad. And the A's are terrible. Um, and, you know, the East is competitive, but it's, it's not great. And then in the NL, we talked about Mets. He's 54 and 33. The Braves are 52 and 36. The Phillies, after a really bad start, 46 and 41. The Marlins are 41 and 44 and always a thorn in the Mets' side. Always. Although the Mets have handled them pretty well so far this year, thankfully. And then the Nationals, who were expected to be bad and are, 30 and 58. I mean, then at least may come down to if the Mets can hold water and be about 500 against the Braves, are they going to be better against the Nationals and the Marlins than the Braves are? And the Phil- and look, the Phillies, the Phillies are not, they're not dead yet. I mean, it's it's eight games in a loss column with half a season to go, basically. So I'm not counting the Phillies out just yet. Although you would think at some point the lack of Bryce Harper will come back to bite him. And then in the NL Central, you get the Brewers at 48 and 39. The Cardinals, who you know started out slow, got hot. Of course, they're painting the Mets' neck too. Um, of course, they could not show up against the Braves when I needed them to, <laughs> but. They at least beat the Phillies in the last couple of games. They're 47 and 42, and the rest of that division is a disaster. I mean, the Pirates are 37 and 50. The Cubs are 34 and 52, and the Reds are 32 and 54. And the Red, Reds, I think, got off to like a 2 and 18 start, too, or something like that. Look, look at the Reds. The Reds will probably be one of the biggest players of the trade deadline because they actually have some pieces over there, um, uh, both in the starting rotation and in the bullpen and some position players. So uh, the same goes for the Cubs um, and the Pirates. All three of those teams will probably, you know, be trading a lot of their guys. So we'll see what happens there. And then in the West, you've got the Dodgers, still the cream of the crop at 56 and 29. Although the, the Mets showed up against the Dodgers early in the year, which was nice. Uh, the Padres are 15-38, despite no Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, but Manny Machado's had a great year for them so far. The Giants have come, you know, 
back down to earth. All, all these middling veterans that, that played, you know, way uh, above their normal years last year, they've all come back to the pack here, and they're 43 and 42. And then the Diamondbacks are 39 and 40, and the Rocks are 38 and 49. So, I mean, you know, look, it's – I mean, in the National League, you get the Mets, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Padres – the Brewers a little bit. And, look, you never count out the Cardinals because the, the, the pedigree of that organization, right? So, although they had the weird offseason where they got rid of their manager after they made the playoffs, and that was bizarre. Um, but, um, you know, those will be the teams that will be jockeying at the trade deadline to, to get, you know, to get some reinforcements. Um What's interesting is there's a great article about uh, by this guy Jeff Passan who writes for Major League ba- writes about Major League Baseball for ESPN about how you know all this over reliance this idiotic over reliance on on analytics has basically rendered the old the days of the ace starting pitcher irrelevant and how it's ruining among other things is hurting the sport because you know that used to be must watch TV if you were a baseball fan. Right? I mean, I remember in 1984, so I was 15, going to a Mets-Dodgers game with uh, one of my camp counselors from my, the camp I used to go to up on Cape Cod. Because it was Fernando Valenzuela versus Dwight Gooden. And we sat in the nosebleed section. And listen, I get it. When you're a kid, you're just happy to go to a game, and I would never go sit in nosebleeds now. I, I get that. But, I mean, I was so excited for that game. The, the, the place was packed. It was unbelievable. I mean, that, th- those guys, guys like, I mean, Scherzer's still there. You know, you still have some of these guys a little bit. But, I mean, for the most part, the days of the, the, the big horse, those days are gone. And those guys were a draw. Those guys were compelling figures, right? Watching two studs go at each other for eight or nine innings in a 1-1-1-0-2-1 game that was exciting, even though there wasn't a million home runs in the game. You know, that was fun to watch. And that's gone. It's out of the game. And now you have a guy, a guy goes six innings, you're thrilled. And then it's a parade of bullpen arms. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys throw in the, in the mid to high 90s now. Um, you know, you're seeing, again, some teams are starting to revert back to actual baseball, which is putting the ball in play, hitting and running, playing good defense, sacrifice flies, getting guys over, getting them in, bunting, you know, all the things that the, 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 the geniuses in the analytics world tell you are no good. It's funny. For 130 years, those things worked. But then all of a sudden, we decided that, no, all of a sudden now those, those things don't work anymore. Okay. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I've long been railing against analytics for years. And again, I read Moneyball. My grandfather was on the, 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 the forefront of the Bill James way of looking at baseball. And I'm all about on-base percentage. It makes a ton of sense. But then when you're going to tell me that RBIs don't matter, I'm going to tell you you're an idiot because the name of the game is to score more runs than the other team. So, yes, I understand that, you, have, you know, oh, it's not always up to the guy because he gets more chances. So what? You're looking at it in a vacuum. The name of the game is to score more runs than the other team. And if I have a player who drives in a lot of runs, he's, in by very definition, a valuable player. I don't care if he has a lot of chances. He's doing his job. So idiotic. 
Ugh, so sick of this garbage, this stupid groupthink. So, you know, look, hopefully there will be a, 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 the pendulum will swing back in the other direction towards some sanity in Major League Baseball and how the sport's played. I wouldn't hold my breath, but you're seeing it creep in a little bit here and there. All right, let's shift gears. Let's go to the NBA. So the Knicks, after a disappointing season, after an unexpectedly good season the year before, had a disappointing year last year. Now, if you want to look at the cup half full, you say R.J. Barrett took strides again and improved, and he's still only, what, 21, 22. Uh, you say Mitchell Robinson took strides and improved, and the, the Knicks re-signed him and are keeping him. You could say Quentin Grimes, the rookie, first-round pick, showed signs of being at least, if not a star, a, a, a solid contributing player on an NBA team. I would say a little less so Miles McBride because he didn't get as many opportunities, but what I saw from him I liked. Same goes with Jordan Sims, the center in the second round that they drafted. Um, so those, those were all positive signs. Um, then you unfortunately had the Evan Fournier signing. He was a disaster. Kemba Walker was a disaster. He's gone. Derrick Rose, you know, hurt. And Julius Randle regressed back to the bad Julius Randle, right? Sort of selfish player. Bull, bull, I, I wouldn't even say a selfish player. He just didn't have a very good year. And the Knicks blew a, probably 10 games where they had double-digit leads. And I understand sports change where... You know, in the old days, a 12-point lead with four minutes to go, basically the game was over, uh, even with the advent of the three-pointer. But now that everybody and their mother can make a three, you know, hardly any lead is safe these days. Um, but having said that, the Knicks had a bunch of – and what, they won what, they win, 38 games? I mean, they were only a few games out of that play-in spot now. I mean, if you even cut that, that number in half, they win 40-something games and at least are in the mix. So, I, you know, the year, it, listen, they were a very frustrating bunch to watch. Uh, you know, when you, when you flush leads away, it's really hard to watch. You know, it would be the same thing, right? The Knicks would look great for three and a half quarters. The other team would make their run, and then the, next, the Knicks couldn't score. And it would be Julius Randle trying to bulldoze his way into the paint or, you know, guys jacking up uh, ill-advised threes and just no flow, no rhythm, because the Knicks don't have a point guard. They don't have anybody that can settle the team down when it comes to crunch time and winning time who can either make a play for himself or set up a teammate for a good look. They don't have anybody to do that. And they haven't had anybody to do that in a million years, as we know. And so, you know, you didn't have to be a genius to figure out that Jalen Brunson from the Mavericks, whom I loved coming out of college, said it on a show on this, said it on a podcast uh, when he was coming out of college, that he would be undervalued and underdrafted because he's kind of short and he's not very athletic and he doesn't have a great NBA body, except all he does is win. He won national championship at Villanova. He was a key contributor on that team. He knows how to play with pace. He knows spacing. He knows angles. He sees the floor well. He's a good passer. He's a worker. His father played for the Knicks. His father was Leon Rose, who's now the Knicks GM or president, his first client. So it didn't take a genius to connect the dots and see that, oh, he was going to be a free agent. The Knicks need a point guard. Duh. Right? 
So the Knicks needed cap room. They made some trades. They got rid of New Orleans Noel. They got rid of Alec Burks, who I liked, solid veteran. But, you know, he was miscast as a starting point guard this year, which he was mostly after Thibodeau decided he won no part of Kemba Walker. You know, listen, Alec Burks had a great year for them two years ago. Solid veteran. He's a seventh man. If you, if, you're not, if you can't be good because no Alec Burks, then you got problems. I'm sorry. Same with, you know, everyone. Oh, they, the reason the Knicks aren't good this year is because Reggie Bullock's not on the team. I, I mean, give me a break. Reggie Bullock is a very good defender. Made a bunch of important threes for them in the regular season. He was nowhere to be found in the playoffs against the, the Hawks two years ago. Nowhere. So relax about Reggie Bullock. But anyway, I digress. Um, and the Knicks signed him to a big contract. People are freaking out. He's not a, a top five point guard in the league, blah, 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 this, that, that. Listen, watch him play in the playoffs, play great. Now, I understand Luka Doncic makes his life easier. But Luka Doncic didn't play every game. And when Luka Doncic wasn't there and they played against the Jazz, Jalen Brunson's the best player on the team, in a bunch, uh, best player on the floor in a bunch of those games. And he's 25. See, old Knicks would have signed a guy, you know, like they would have traded the, the, half their team for Damian Lillard, right? Who's a great player, but is what, 31, 32 now and coming off an injury and you know would not be good for the Knicks? Jalen Brunson's 25, loves Thibodeau, knows Thibodeau, is a worker, has gotten better every year he's been in a league, right? And yes, nobody's saying the Knicks are now a championship contender, but you know what they are? They're a good team now with him. He will make other players on that team better. And the way the NBA goes these days, for better or worse, and it's probably for worse, but the players dictate where they want to go. And when they look around the league, they know who's good and they know who's not good. Except for Kevin Durant. He couldn't figure out that he should have just stayed in Golden State. (laughs) And so... They want to play with guys, you know, they, they, they want to go to teams with guys they want to play with. People want to play with Jalen Brunson. I think people want to play with R.J. Barrett. R.J. Barrett can be a maddening player at times, no question. But he's a worker. He doesn't run his yap every two seconds. He plays. He doesn't do load management. Um, so... I was perfectly happy with the move. They re-signed Mitchell Robinson. I was happy with that. They signed this guy, Isaiah Hartenstein, who, you know, is a good backup center who gives you something different. He can make threes. He's a stretch five. You need that in the NBA now. And then, listen, I get it summer league, so you take this stuff with a grain of salt. I watched the game the other night against the Bulls, and I understand it's a Bulls team. None of those guys are going to be on the NBA roster, or maybe a couple of them will, but they're not going to be contributors. But Quentin Grimes, who, by the way, had some big games in the real NBA last year for the Knicks, including, I think, a 27-point effort against the Bucks, and then got COVID and then got hurt, um, was phenomenal the other night. Miles McBride looked phenomenal. Jordan Sims looked phenomenal. I'm not saying they're going to be stars. Those guys should be contributors. You throw in quickly, who, you know, didn't play, play, had a better rookie year for most of the year than he did last year, came on strong late in the year. Obi Toppin made strides. And yes, you know, you can't go crazy over the last seven games, but he looked great in those games when he finally started getting some consistent minutes. 
Yeah, those two guys with those three guys and Barrett and Brunson, that's seven guys that are 25 or younger. That's a good young core. Now, of course, I just saw a headline that the Jazz may be open to trading Donovan Mitchell, <laughs> uh, who the Knicks should have just, just drafted in the first place. Instead, I believe they took Frenchie Frank. Yeah, they did, because the year before they took Kevin Knox and they could have Shea Gilgus Alexander. Um, and I guess you could throw Cam Reddish in the mix, although uh, who knows what you have with him. He stunk for the Hawks, and he didn't show much for the Knicks last year, and then he got hurt. So, I mean, he's a young player. He's like 23. So, you know, maybe he could be something. Who knows? But uh, I wouldn't count him. But those other guys I do. Listen, Jordan Sims, that guy will be a solid starting center in the NBA at some point, or if not, a very good backup and part of a, a rotation on a good team. He's incredibly athletic, can switch out on guys and play defense and protect the rim. And by the way, unlike Mitchell Robinson, who literally his only game is putbacks and dunks, which is fine, Jordan Sims actually has got a little bit of offensive game to him. And again, he's a young guy. He's like 21. I personally would like to see the Knicks develop this core and go from there. I mean, as currently constructed, if you're going to get the... You don't even need to get the Julius Randle that you got two years ago. You need to just get a better version of last year's Julius Randle. Now, look, I'd like to see him gone. I think it's addition by subtraction. I don't think the Knicks are going to trade him. If you, if you traded him now, first of all, I don't know if you can make the numbers work cap-wise. And then secondly, even if you did get rid of him, you know, you're getting pennies on the dollar for him, right? His, his value is, at, is, is low right now. But even if you just get a better version of Julius Randle last year with Brunson, with Barrett, with Mitchell Robinson, you hope, you know, Fournier can at least be you know, give you some three-point shooting off the bench. Derek Rose maybe can give you a little something off the bench. And Grimes and Quickly and Toppin and McBride all improve. Should be a fun Knicks team to watch. Yeah, they're not going to contend for a championship. That's okay. Again, Brunson's 25. And then lastly... We'll talk about that other team in New York, the Nets, who, I mean, listen, Kyrie Irving. <laughs> I mean, is there a more loathsome sports figure than Kyrie Irving? I mean, you know, Mr. I play when I want to. I won't get vaccinated. I'm the coach. KD's the coach. I'm the GM. I'm an owner. He's an owner. I mean, this guy is so delusional. He's a horrible teammate. He's a horrible employee. Now he wants to be traded after he opted in and, of course, to keep his $37 million, which, God bless him, that's fine. You'd be a fool to give up $30 million and go play for the Lakers on a $6 million veteran deal. That's fine. But let me, let me explain something to you, Kyrie. Just because you give a lot of money to charity doesn't make you a good person, okay? The amount of money that you've made, and, and I don't know what the numbers are. I don't, I don't know what he's given to charity, but so what? Guess what? You're supposed to do that, okay? The guy's made over $100 million in his career, and he's, not even, he's probably 30. I mean, give me a break. Oh, you're some hero. How about you show up for your teammates? You be accountable. You're not a jerk. How about that? But no, he can't. And again, delusional. I mean, this is a guy who takes, takes four days off for his birthday during the season, 
like he's a 28-year-old girl. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so you know what, Nets? You made your deal with the devil, and you're getting everything you deserve. Now, he don't want to be there. Kevin Durant doesn't want to be there anymore. But nobody's trading for Kyrie because he's toxic. Nobody wants him. And now Durant wants out because he's had it with that clown. But guess what, Kevin Durant? You made your own bed. You got to lie in it now because you could have just stayed with Golden State after you ran away from Oklahoma City because you couldn't get past Golden State when you had the chance because you were a bricklayer in a decisive game seven. You couldn't make a shot. But at least I'll say this for Kevin Durant. At least when he's healthy, he plays. He shows up. The guy played, you know, hurt two years ago and gave the Nets everything they wanted and more. And if not for, you know, his foot being a size 18 instead of a size 17, the Nets might have been in the finals. So at least he actually gives you max effort when he is able to do that, unlike Kyrie, who plays when he wants to play. I mean, listen, I told you guys a few years ago, I was getting into the Nets. I liked them before they made all those trades. When I had Dinwiddie and Joe Harris and Karis LeVert and the Fro. I mean, that, that was a fun team to watch. And then they went and chased the Dragon. And then they, then they brought in James Harden, another unlikable figure. And then he bailed on them immediately, probably because of Kyrie, and went to Philadelphia and stunk it up for them. And he looks like a shell of his former self. But, I mean, so, so to compare and contrast the Knicks and the Nets, you know, everybody killed the Knicks and laughed at them, and the Nets got Kyrie and Durant, and the Knicks couldn't get anybody. Well, I mean, yeah, sure. The Nets have made the playoffs. They made the conference finals. They've also been nothing but a, a, a drama soap opera, right? And the Knicks just imported, just, just signed Brunson, who is the epitome of a team guy and a good guy. R.J. Barrett, good guy. Randall, it was weird. He had the transformation two years ago, and then last year sort of reverted back to form. But, you know, for the most part, Knicks are a likable team, at least. A team you can root for. You can get behind. All right, that's going to do it for this week's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, peace out.